Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast as Tennessee gets ready to take on Kentucky and a huge football game for both teams. We'll talk about the Wildcats. We'll talk some recruiting. We'll talk about UAB. We'll talk about some uh, basketball as well. And this Tuesday edition of the podcast with Jesse Simonton, Rob Lewis, and Austin Price. I'm Brent Hubbs. Hope everybody is doing well. Let's put a bow tie on UAB. Um, takeaways from UAB. Not, not the instant reaction that, that you know, Jesse, you and, and Austin and I did at right after the game, but just a couple of days later, what's the takeaway from UAB? Flush it, move on, not a whole lot to take from it, or do you think there's some stuff well, I, to glean from it, good and bad? Well, I, the, I think the, the bad is, is, you know, you better hope that Jameer Johnson gets healthy this week and Darnell Wright, you know, gets healthy and you can get some out of those guys on Saturday because, you know, Tennessee's offensive line – and I, and I do think, you know, and Jeremy talked about it, and I, I do think UAB was pretty salty, especially, you know, in the interior of their defensive front. But, you know, I think Kentucky's got some guys that can, you know, get that, get home too. So, you know, to me, that's the biggest takeaway I have. I mean, other one than that, I mean, Tennessee took care of, the, the you know, a, a solid opponent. And, you know, really, I mean, they, their first-team defense hasn't given up a point in six quarters. So, they, they continue to play well. But, to me, the, the whole key this week is, you know, how healthy can Tennessee's offensive line get between now and Saturday night at 730. It just wasn't pretty up front. No, and, and there was some – there, and uh, this was kind of the, the opening of my review piece, was that I do think there is progress in just kind of methodically beating down an inferior op- opponent. And it was something that I kind of wondered about this team in our season predictions, you know, a couple months ago. That it, the – the beating the Alabamas and the Georgias and, and the Floridas of the world is, is going to have to start happening at some point. But first, you need to start just beating teams that you're better at in general. And, and they have started to do that. And so while it wasn't pretty up front, especially with really the seven offensive linemen that played because Locklear got to play a lot because they pulled in Carvin in and out. Obviously, Calvert played a bunch. Those PFF numbers are going to be pretty bad. Uh, would that be on the box score piece on, you know, later today? But the defense, as, as Austin said, first-team defense was really, was really salty. Um, they continue to kind of get pressure in, in some various ways. And they have, I like some of the different blitz packages they had with the kind of a faux bear front. Schamberger got home once. You know, the two-tip passes basically forced two interceptions. So you do see still some good that you – and, you know, some confidence that that unit clearly is going to take into a Kentucky team that's pretty one-dimensional. So – flush the bat the, the the kind of step back for the offensive line see if you can get some guys healthy and then I, frankly you know what are they going to do at quarterback well i think that's where it, that's where you go next i mean in in terms of discussion about what this team's going to be down the stretch of this season they did win a game rob where they were better uh, maybe they didn't play great but they played clean enough and well enough to win a game which they didn't do earlier in the year. They're better than BYU. The turnover in the second half changed the whole landscape of that game, the inability to finish in the first half. They didn't finish the first half Saturday night, but they avoided the critical mistakes. Obviously, Georgia State, they were better then, uh, but just didn't play well. So progress, as Jesse's saying from that standpoint, that they beat a UAB team they were better than on a night where they didn't play their best on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, and one thing Jeremy keeps on coming back to is turnovers. I mean, Tennessee's getting them, and even though, I mean, Jared had a really bad one the other night, you still, you're still plus three in the in turnover category, and most nights that's going to that's, that's gonna result in good news, especially when you're, you know, you, you have your opponent outmatched. And, I mean, I know UAB wasn't very good on offense, but I think what you're seeing 
is, is a Tennessee defense that's getting a lot more confident as, as the season goes on. I mean, I think part of that's experience. I think part of that, you know, obviously getting Bryce Thompson back, Daniel Batuli getting further removed from getting scoped at the end of August. But they just they're, they're playing with so much more confidence and and just you know a sense of urgency than, than, than they were two months ago. They, and, they and look I, like the same unit. I'll say this too. What was impressive, you know, as the counter to kind of what ten, how Tennessee's offensive line performed, Saturday was probably the first time all season the defense played really well despite Batuli not really having a good game. Now, he, you know, Jeremy Pruitt has alluded to the fact that how much they missed him the first couple of weeks of the season and the defense struggling there. But Batuli was really a non-factor, I thought, on Saturday. And, and yet the defense didn't miss a beat and, and, and you know, Toa Toa might have had his best game in terms of a complete performance uh, in his t- in his young Tennessee career. Obviously, Bryce Thompson was fantastic. Um, Middleton and Solomon really good again. Karat Garland played a lot. Bumpus was back in the rotation. So, it, to Rob's point about you know other guys gaining confidence, I, I thought that really showed up, especially on Tate. When you say, "Hey, it wasn't 35 out there making every play; it was a bunch of other guys." Well, and I think the I think the biggest to, for me personally, the biggest example of, of them getting uh, more confidence is they're faster, and it's not because they picked up a, a you know some foot speed. It's not like they're 40 times or better now than they were. The in GPSs August. are reading the same. You know, I mean, they're they're reading the same, but they're getting there quicker because their first step's the right step. There's no hesitation in which way to go or whatever. I mean, I think that's a big part of why Nigel Warrior looks like a faster football player right now. Schamberger, although, um, you know, maybe didn't play his best against UAB the last few weeks, is in better position because he's got more confidence. So I think the confidence is showing up on that side of the ball, making that a faster-looking defense, which is making them a more productive defense. So. Continued progress on the defensive side of the ball. Now, they've got a unique challenge this week against Kentucky, which we'll dive into throughout the week. But but let's go back to the offense, and let's go to the quarterback deal. And I'm just a little bit having a little bit of a hard time figuring out some of the, some of the publicly acknowledged strategies on what you're doing. Brian Maurer was full go, but he didn't get enough first-team reps. Jared didn't practice early in the week practiced the last couple of days but didn't start him because the temperature dropped and JT earned the start against South Carolina but didn't earn enough leash to get past one bad throw on the opening possession. And that leash was too short. <laughs> I saw my joke but that leash was too short for Smokey apparently. I mean he was you know one throw and there Winky meets him on the sidelines and says all right that's it. <laughs> I mean it, it is a little bit it, oh, it, you and I have talked about it. I have Pruitt's comments about the weather in JG still just make absolutely no sense to me. I mean, just from just stepping back, I get I get it if you want him to be the sixth man. But the argument that it was cold and the, it was having he was having a tough time gripping the ball, and suddenly, literally three plays into the game, it must have warmed up, and you put him in the game for the rest of the first half. And I just you, and then you left him in there in the second half after your tackles were struggling and you were getting right. beat up and he's got he's landing on his his chub Luke Skywalker yeah I mean is it, is it as simple you know? as the fact that Maurer really probably wasn't quite ready to play in terms of coming off you know two head injuries or whatever or, or did he have a bad week or did he did have he, a bad week did he and, just and kind and of you assume just, he was going to be the man after getting cleared to play and maybe wasn't as good on the practice field as he needed to be. Yeah, it, I, I don't yeah. know. No, I don't know either. But we, he certainly, you know, talking to people and, and, you know, AP had it out there first. I mean, he took, 
he split the reps straight down with JT the first couple of days of practice. So and it, people it, within the program said they expected Maurer to start on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday morning. And I'll say this: as we hit, you know Tuesday, the, you know Tuesday before Kentucky, I expect it to be eighteen and two on Saturday. You think? I, you think? You think? I think it's Mowering and, and, and JG. I just I think Shrout. I, I wrote this. I think Shrout missed his opportunity. I think if Shrout was good against UAB, he could have seriously inserted himself into this quarterback equation where it truly maybe would be who does Tennessee go to down the stretch with three different guys but my opinion coming out of that game the way Tennessee handled JT I I don't think there's a ton of faith there um and and I I I think he missed his window that's my opinion I agree with that I mean I you know I I think it was pretty evident you know I I think they went into the game Saturday Given with the full intention of giving JT, you know, more than one more series. than one series, and then he threw one across his body, and they, I think that there's just such a fear that they will turn the ball over because he's done it in practice so much, but he's not done it in two games, right? You know, and that's that, that you know, and that's probably my biggest, you know, I won't say issue, but it's kind of my biggest, you know, it's like, I mean, come on, you can't live in fear. I mean, like if the kid goes up there and he turns it over, I understand, but I mean, like. How many, how many passes did Jarrett throw Saturday that, you know, potentially, you know, we're going to get picked up? I watched well, Tom Brady, who's as good as anybody that's ever played the position, throw one, and Earl Thomas bit right on it and almost, you know, picked it off at the one-yard line. Well, it was, the other, it was the other series. It was, it was the first series in the second half when Shrout missed the safety, and he came he came out the very – you know, which probably should have been intercepted. The guy dropped the ball, but it was uh, – Never saw the safety. Never saw the safety at all. And – they pulled him again. Like it was the very next series. So which, that it's just which goes back to the notion of whether or not Maurer was really healthy. Maybe he was cleared to play, but they didn't feel. I mean, because if you want to knock the rust off and get him back going before you go on the road, you know, and take on a, why, why not play him in the second half? But if your O line's taking it, a beating, yeah, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying why, why not play him some in the second I mean, half? I mean, get, I mean, it's not like the guy doesn't need reps. I mean, when you're up. You're not going to lose. You're up four scores. Yeah, I mean, see, I think once they got to that point, though, why go that route? Because like, especially with an offensive line not playing. Yeah, they're not playing well. He takes a shot. Number number one's out there just (laughs) playing kind of reckless. I mean, not not Marquez, but you know, number one for UAB. I mean, why go down that route? Because then if he takes another shot in a game, you're up three or four scores. Everybody's going, "What are you doing?" Well, what what are you letting JG take shots with a broken hand? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, if, 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 you, if you sit there on Monday at your press conference and you talk about one of the issues that you had was you need a quarterback there who can manage the run game. He can flip it right or left if you need to. And, and he alluded to Jared being more the guy, because of his experience, more capable of doing that. Why continue to get him knocked down in the second half? Now, maybe you don't go to Maurer there, but I mean, which, which goes why back- not go back to Shroud and say, hey, look, Manage the game. Play, get get some. Get a little longer in the tooth. You know. Get get some experience. Which, which goes a back. Surprise. The whole flip in the run game makes sense because you know I was told before the South Carolina game that that was the one thing that they were most concerned with about JT was during the week. As much as they worked it and repped it, he kept getting you know he didn't what, flip it. He didn't flip it correctly and would and would give him the, the 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 opposite signal that he was supposed to give. You know, and so. I, I would contend JG didn't flip it real well either. I mean, I, I just don't think that they and, and Pruitt alluded to that. I just don't think the quarterbacks in general manage the game the way they're going to need to 
moving forward against good competition. And, yeah. and I think that's the... And some of that, and, and you know what? Some of that probably also falls on Brandon Kennedy, who talks, who meets with the media about every week and talks about how much responsibility is on his shoulders in terms of communication and identifying some of the run stuff. And he, you know, he had, had a nice game a week ago against South Carolina against some Kinlaw and some other guys that were really good, but Fair ate his lunch on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, big time. I mean, that, 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 dude, that dude's pretty good. I mean, I, I would say Fair is going to do that to quite a few people, but he certainly did it to, to an SEC um, he, center. He might have made himself some money on yeah, Saturday night. That, that guy looks woefully out of shape, and then all of a sudden you look up and he's just fast he, twitch he after sure, fast twitch. He's sure there's no way if he got on a scale he'd only weigh about 335 yeah, or whatever his list is. I'm, I'm guessing we're closer to 360. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, he was, I mean, his quickness was, oh. was surprising. I mean, And power. Yeah, and he had a lot of power there, too. They're, they're, their defensive front's pretty good. I, I don't want to say they're the best Tennessee's played or anything like that. No, but, but Smith, they, Smith, I mean, he came into the game as, you know, their best, you know, just pure outside pass rusher, and he – Wanya had a rough night as well. That may be the best edge guy they played since the Florida dudes. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Wod- Wodum's pretty good. Yeah. South Carolina. Yeah, Wodum's pretty. I would say, I would say the Florida guys are maybe Ojolari's yeah. brother, because Aziz has been pretty good this year. Yeah, maybe. He, I mean, he could compete with. I mean, he's in that category with those guys. I mean, yeah. he was an SEC looking. He was playing defensive end. Kind of reminded me of, of a guy that, that Kentucky had, you know, in Jordan Allen. Yeah. It was similar kind of in terms of twitch and, and kind of a little bit thinner, but he was able to really bend and get around. Yeah, because for all the talk of their wide receivers and how they were SEC-type dudes, and, and you know, uh, a couple of those guys, I mean, five's a pretty good player. I mean, a couple of those guys are pretty good. I thought, I thought Price and Smith were the two most SEC-looking dudes that UAB had running around on the football field Saturday night. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, for, for sure. Uh, run game for Tennessee. I don't think it's all just about managing, you know, flipping it right or left. This has emerged as Ty Chandler's. It, it feels like it's Ty Chandler's deal. Do they ride, continue to ride with Chandler as being their featured back? And, and <laughs> where did Tim Jordan go yeah, after couple, the Alabama weeks, deal? A couple weeks ago, yeah, he goes for what 92 yards or 90 plus yards at Alabama, and now let's see, he's, had, he's not had 15 carries the last two weeks. And, and most of his carries have gone for like two yards or less. I mean, they had, I think, almost 60% of Tennessee's runs on Saturday went for one yard, zero yards, or negative yardage. And that's just not going to cut it. If Tennessee's going to win two out of three here, it's going to have to be better than that against Kentucky, Missouri, and, and even a terrible Vanderbilt team. Well, oh, and this is a Kentucky team, Austin, that gives up 170 yards rushing, but there's been a lot of years over the last, a lot of games in this matchup over the last 15, 20 years even, where you went to that game and Kentucky was giving up 200 yards rushing and Tennessee hadn't been able to rush for a bunch of yards. Tennessee's going to have to be able to run the football Saturday night if they're going to have a chance to win this game because Kentucky's not going to let you throw it over their head. I mean, I think I think patience is going to be interesting in this game, but Tennessee's got to run it better. Bottom line, got to run it better. Uh, and again, I go back to you know what I started the podcast with. <laughs> they got to get healthy up front. I mean, it, to me, it's as simple as that. I mean, if you can protect, if those guys are healthy, Tennessee can protect much better. They're going to be able to run block much better, which gives them a way better shot. No matter who the quarterback is. To have success, but do you think? I mean, but is it? Is it to me? It's not just. This isn't like a Jenga thing 
right now, like it has been with the offensive line in previous years. Guys just did not play well on Saturday. No, yeah, Dar- one, one, Darnell Wright. One, one, Darnell Wright's fine. I mean, but like one guy, we don't even know where Jameer would play. I mean, Trey Smith was probably Tennessee's best lineman on Saturday, and he was, I would just deem as average. I mean, Carvin's going to play and just did not play well. Just, Smith is going to play, or Kennedy's going to play every snap and did not play well. Wanda's going to play I, most snaps, did not play well. I go back to the play where Trey got the helmet-to-helmet collision. Marcus Tatum got bull rushed so bad, he was set, he almost sat in mine and your lap in the press box. So, I mean, like – to me, they, they, they just got to have those guys. Well, and and if, if it's just getting Jameer back and he plays left and Wanya goes back to right, or if Darnell's back fully healthy, I just think, the, to me, it, I don't think it's Jenga that you pull one piece out and the whole thing comes tumbling down. But I do think that, you know, not having both those guys, you know, you pull two Jenga pieces out, and I know Jameer had missed five straight games, but still, though, you pull two tackle pieces out. And to me, it changes things dramatically. Well, I think I think both those guys help. I think because there's some continuity been developing there and, and some confidence there. I agree with you too, Jesse. They all got to play better because they had a bad night at the office. That's I mean, they, and they that's had, just how I would kind of. Right, that's they, how, that, they yeah. had a they had a bad night at the office. Um, Rob, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you're getting ready to play, and maybe this is over. Maybe I've talked about this too much. You're getting ready to play your sixth game in a row. How do you manage this team this week on the practice field? You got to get healthy. Where's that balance in line between beating them up and then making oh, sure you I'm got all back, your legs? I'm backing completely off. You shorten shorten things. I mean, they backed it off some the last week, few weeks. Five week coming up. I mean, that wasn't an SEC game on Saturday, but it was plenty physical. You know, on, in, the, in the trenches, as you know, Tennessee's rushing totals can attest to. I, don't, I mean, other than just doing the bare minimum, I'm 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 not worried about my team being physical enough at this point. I'm worried about him being healthy. Can't you see can't you see some coaches though going, you know, we backed off a little bit the last couple of weeks, offensive line didn't play well, we need to hit somebody. <laughs> you know? I mean I'm sure some coaches I mean there's a balance way, there. It's intriguing. I think it's gonna be interesting to see. I don't mean you, but look at Trey Smith, he's playing better than anybody on on either either line of scrimmage and he hadn't hit anybody in, during the week and all year. True. He's obviously he's obviously a freak and not, and, and by far their best most talented guy um, out there. Uh, but I, I think they do have to manage it very carefully this week. So that's that's something to keep an eye on as you move. I mean, forward. so then I just I mean, if you get somebody deemed to practice this week, I mean, I, I think the risk really outweigh the, the rewards at this point. In and the this is where we find out, right. you know, if they. I don't disagree with you. I, I don't either. And this is where we find out, you know, how much growth Pruitt has in his second season on the job because he made this mistake a year ago where he was frustrated about because the they didn't la- play well. They didn't play well, and then he beat the hell out of his team before. You know the the Vandy game, and they they just didn't have, you know, the juice at the end. And he's clearly a coach on Monday that wanted wanted to make it very clear his team's not as improved as everybody wants to anoint them being. Um, that that they're they're not close to being as good as some people think, or have not improved as much as you know outside people think, given what the fact they've won a couple ball games here and and had a little bit of success. So. Um, we'll keep an eye on that on the practice field as we cover practice this afternoon and, and on Wednesday and continue to talk to people. Recruiting-wise, Tennessee gets the big one in over the weekend. They throw it to the tight end a whole bunch, make sure everybody knows they've got <laughs> tight ends on the roster. It was the safest bet in the house on Saturday that, that Don Wood Anderson was going to get some balls thrown his way. Three catches for the first time he, since he opened. Austin Pope got one. Even Austin Pope Jacob got a Warren. ball. Jacob Warren got a ball. Andrew, Andrew Craig, Craig got a ball. I mean, Incredible. everybody. It's like Oprah. Everybody catches a ball at the tight end position. 
Well, what do you make out of the out of the Washington visit? You had a chance to visit with him. What do you what do you take away from it? Well, I, I you know Jesse and I've had this conversation um, you know yesterday. I, I think this thing comes down to ten, Tennessee and Georgia. Uh, you know, wow. Does not have to go back to Georgia. He told me to to pick Georgia, um, but may end up back there unofficially. He's already taken his official there for the Notre Dame game. Um, but uh, you know, getting him the last weekend um, to me is you know a big deal. I, I, you know what? Honestly, I think it's Tennessee, Georgia, and Jesse may disagree with me here. I don't think Alabama's third. I think Oregon that visit right before that the Tennessee visit to me they're kind of sneaky. You know, a West Coast school. The only um, West Coast school. The only West Coast school. See, I think the kid wants to play in the SEC. I do, too, but I think that that, that visit could be impressionable. Are you surprised Alabama's not? Well, we'll see. He doesn't seem to have as much talk Doesn't, right doesn't now. seem. Doesn't, not right now, right now. But that could change, obviously, this weekend. Yeah, he, go, he, yeah goes there, he goes there this weekend. Well, he's gonna, I mean, it's going to be a rock and show with that deal. No yeah. one versus two, so. And the, how do the domino – I think there's also, with Alabama, there's kind of the underlying domino does – if Gilbert ends up there, you know, those two guys have been pretty open about the fact they don't think they're going to play at the same school, which is why LSU is not even a, um, a contender for Darnell Washington. Uh, so is that kind of a subtle? But, but I think this is a Tennessee-Georgia deal, and we'll see. Niedermeyer's done a great job putting the Vols, um, you know, in, in, in position with the family. The mom likes Tennessee, was back here. Darnell's been here a bunch. You know, had fun playing video games with Pruitt. I think there's just kind of a natural comfortability here. Uh, but when push comes to shove, is Tennessee going to be able to, you know, beat out a team that, you know, is is, is just at a different part, you know, program-wise than they are right, right now? Right, because it comes down to can Tennessee win with a personal relationship over a program that's playoff caliber team? Yeah, and 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 AP. I mean, what he said. You know, he talked about the. I mean, he likes the Hartley guy. At Georgia, and so it is now. I don't know the similar personalities between you know how he connects with him versus how he connects with Niedermeyer, but Niedermeyer is the reason that Tennessee is in this deal. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I mean, he like he he told me yesterday that he likes how just consistent the staff is. You know that they're about ball. There's not not a lot of flash. Um, but I, in reality, I mean, when you look at the teams recruiting him, Alabama, same type of way. Georgia, same type of way. Um, you know, so it's not shocking that, and, and he seems like a very meticulous kid, one that you know just you know sits and takes in everything that he's told, watches everything, then reacts. Um, does not seem like an emotional guy. I mean, I'm sure he maybe plays that way, but I mean, I'm just talking about when you're when you talk to him with the way he's person in the recruiting process. So I can see why he why he clicks a certain way with uh, with, with certain with certain staffs. Um, but you know, Tennessee's. So kind of, you know, this is this is their Henry this year, or their, you know, Darnell uh, Wright. You know, this is the guy or that the they, Crouch. Yeah, this is the guy that they're going to have a best shot to uh, land a five star with. And uh, you know, if he if he makes it back in here, which he's supposed to uh, for that official visit that last weekend, then he's I think going to have a real shot. So he comes in in December for his official visit. Jay Hardy comes off the board on Wednesday tomorrow, tomorrow morning. He's supposed to come off the board. Still feels like Tennessee even after the Auburn visit. I think I think we all tend to think that that's where that one still rides. Right yeah, now. in my opinion, uh, you know, I, I think Tennessee. He's uh, laying low after the Auburn visit. Now I will say that it's not like he's he's having conversations. He's with been laying low for a while, though. I mean, right? He, he wanted to he wanted to get this thing done. I mean, like a lot of kids, they don't. I mean, 
you know, everybody knows how I feel about the crystal ball, okay? But, I mean, a lot of kids just don't want their stuff. I think that, that, that lot, the fact that Tyler Barron's dad works here and everybody just pegs him for Tennessee drives Tyler crazy. I think kids just don't like anybody knowing what they're doing, and it just kind of it, – it's almost impossible for it to not get out anymore. So I think the kids try to lay low the best they can, um, especially when they're up against a decision like this. And, you know, I, I've always felt like Tennessee – I just follow the visits. He's been to Auburn twice. Um, he's been to Tennessee a million times and uh, family, you know, and I, I don't know who all went to Auburn, but I mean, people, but, yeah, everybody but up here. it wasn't just the mom and dad for the visit. I mean, you know, Kevin Cooper flew in, went, came up for the game and, you know, I mean, there were, there were other family members that came up and, you know, you know, they had the, you know, the pictures and the jerseys and all that stuff. I mean, it just, I, I just feel like that he's long wanted to play at Tennessee and uh, Tennessee's, you know, ability to flip this thing around the last you know month has, has helped ease any concerns that, that that he or anybody else could have had any other recruiting takeaways from saturday anything of note well i'm gonna be interested to see what they do with uh with tisdall you know i mean he's a young man that you know academically is trying to get some stuff squared away um that's a south carolina auburn tennessee deal tennessee just likes him as an athlete you know they like him a lot he could play running back he could play linebacker um, you know, R.J. Perry's another one, um, you know, big defensive lineman, you know, I mean, he's, you know, 6'6", Seems two, a big guy. 299, climbing up, climbing climbing up the, up the board, yeah. um, you know, uh, another guy that just, you know, athletically is, is really, really talented. So, um, you know, Tennessee continues to, uh, I think, make a play for certain guys. Um, and, and, you know, again, Tisdall's a guy that, you know, wasn't really nowhere to be found six weeks ago and all of a sudden now he's a you know Tennessee's a real factor with him how many more of those guys pop up over the next you know several weeks I think it depends a lot on you know what happens obviously you know Jay Hardy Tyler Barron Oxendine Big O if those guys fall Tennessee's way then the numbers and the the the, the faces won't be so different if you, if you were to miss on some guys though then all of a sudden it does change you know you know, maybe Tennessee goes heavily after this guy or that guy down the stretch. Well, I think with Tisdall, it's interesting who's going to sign him in December if the academic concerns are there. That you know, that may be a guy that gets pushed back into February because you're not ready to take it. You, you haven't seen those fall grades, that semester grades. You're not sure where all that's at. So that that could be a storyline to watch with him a, a little bit moving forward as well because that's one of the byproducts of the early signing period. Is it? it the academic equation is a little bit different because you don't have as much information the second week of December as you have in the first week of February. Well, yeah, and, and another guy who I don't think he doesn't fit this academically, but he's someone that Austin uh, talked about a bunch during the spring, and then it seemed like Tennessee kind of faded with him a little bit. Maybe the, maybe he faded with the Vols. But, you know, Beckwith was back here this weekend. Yeah, he got to the game late, um, you know, but was able to, you know, get a spot and spend a lot of time with the coaches after the game. So, uh, you know, where does Tennessee kind of stand with a kid like him? Does it, you know, because this is, we're talking about the board reshuffling and some different guys being reevaluated. Um, seems like he's hot on Florida. I think Kentucky, who Tennessee obviously plays this weekend, is kind of involved there as well. So he, he should, he's another one that I think. You know, do they get him back up here for an official visit? Where, where does he kind of sit in terms of – because he's kind of a Swiss Army knife in terms of what position he plays. Well, and again, the whole, you have to massage the whole basketball angle with him. I mean, you know, obviously – Well, I don't know how Kentucky's doing that. 
Well, I, I'm not sure how Florida's doing that. Yeah, I true. mean, like they're all, you know, I mean, because you can't sign a kid, you know, it's not like you can sign him for basketball and then he play football. You don't do that right. anymore. So, like, you got to sign him for football and then, you know, everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, you can come out and play once football season's done. I mean, why is Mike White not going to say that? Why is Rick not going to say that? I mean, everybody's going to say that. And then when push comes to shove, but you is know, he, but is it's like Trayvon gonna, Flowers. Right. But oh, is, yeah, you're going to play baseball. Is he going to we need you for spring, spring Is practice. he going to turn down a football scholarship in December in hopes that some big Division One school is going to come in the spring signing period in basketball, which I don't think anybody who knows his game believes that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think he ends up going football. I think Florida and Kentucky have just gone at him full court, full press, so to speak, football, 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 and the efforts that, hey, sign somewhere in December because – Look, our full scholarship, our grant and aid, our money that you're going to get from our school, okay, cost of attendance and all that stuff is going to be better than if you play basketball at UAB. Right. And I think that's what the I think that's the direction they've gone. Is they haven't massaged basketball. They've just said the heck with basketball. We're going all in football. So we'll see. Uh, as for basketball itself, for Tennessee, um, season opener Rob against UNC Asheville with a different looking basketball team than what Rick Barnes and this staff had hoped they would have with the news coming, um, being released by the university on Saturday revolving Euro, involving Euros Plavich. Tough, tough break for Tennessee. What's, what's Rick Barnes going to do with this team? What are they going to look like now? I think John Fulkerson's going to have to play 25 minutes a game at a higher level than, than he's ever approached in his career, and they're going to play a lot of small ball. I mean, Zach Kent's going to get an opportunity to get minutes. I'm just not sure. That, I'm not sure I see that. And, I mean, and he may surprise me. I mean, I, he obviously has not played a lot. So uh, you know, small sample size there, but I'll, I'll be surprised if he can if, if he can be effective in the SEC. Now you know maybe Zach proves me wrong. I'm not trying to hate on him. I'm just trying to get my predictions. But man, I mean, I don't want to say Tennessee was counting on on Plagic, but I I mean going back to the summer when he first got here, I mean everybody I spoke to just expressed a lot of optimism that he was going to qualify for a hardship with the circumstances. You know his. His mentor, you know, the guy that I've talked about it before, was a former grad transfer here at Tennessee. Um, Drazen Petrovic is, is the guy that you know knew him from Serbia, brought him over here, and got him into Hamilton Heights down in Chattanooga. Drazen gets a job at Arizona State and like a you know video coordinator, not not an on the bench assistant, but Bobby Hurley hires him, which is the only reason they get Drazen or get Eurosh. Bobby Hurley fires Drazen after one year, and you know, not surprisingly, Eurosh wants to leave. Right, and uh, that's that was, you know, I, I think Tennessee felt like that, and, and some, there were some other mitigating circumstances behind the scenes that Tennessee felt like they had a good case. And and I've some people that I talked to, this is as frustrated as I've ever seen them about about anything. So mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of surprise there. And you know, I know Rick Barnes spoke at the quarterback club on Monday, and you know, indicated that there was one more maybe avenue for an appeal. Um, Technically, that's true. But people I've spoken to said that that appeal—it's the you know the final one—and Euros has been denied once. The appeal, his appeal, got denied. So there's there's one more kind of last ditch effort. But I'm in, in talking with some people close to the situation. I'm told that that last straw appeal is for when new information comes to light, which previously had not been presented as part of your argument. I don't think Tennessee has any new information. I, mean, I think they've shot all the bullets in their gun. So while technically, you know, I guess there may be a a pinprick of hope. Um, the the person who explained the whole situation to me told me that they felt like it was a long shot. I want to get back to ba- we'll get back to basketball on this team for a second, but I want to ask this question to everybody. We we saw we've seen on the women's side of things Westbrook get denied. 
we've seen some others get denied. We see some get, win their appeal in all sports. There seems to be no rhyme or reason. Do you guys think that, that the NCAA needs to look at a blanket, kind of blanket, yes. a blanket rule that says, hey, you can transfer one time. And then after the one-time transfer, then anything else has got to be an extenuating circumstance, an appeal. But basically, we're going to give you a one-time transfer. Now, some people believe that that's what needs to happen because there's too much. Nobody understands kind of what goes on behind the door, behind the curtain, so there's to speak, no when, you're, when you go through these policies. Other people say, hey, that's going to become free agency in college sports. What are your so, thoughts on so the one-time deal? So basically, deal? it would be like coaches. Right, but yeah, it would be right. Yeah. But, I mean, there's but no you're, penalty. But you're but you're talking about you're talking about minus the buyouts, yes. right? You're, you're talking about a couple of hundred coaches versus thousands but, but, of student but still, athletes. I mean, I, I do think that there absolutely has to be some sort of transparency, and because part of the the issue that happens with these situations is then it becomes it just becomes a mudslinging contest where schools are mad at schools when based on what we learned this summer through some through excuse me, some of the football stuff, especially with Michigan, Aubrey Salmon, that kind of stuff, in the end it really sounds like the schools have very little they can they, they can petition one way or another, but the NCAA is really just gonna do whatever the, the heck they want to do, and that's where the transparency needs to come in. Well, I mean the most high pro profile one I mean how in the world is I mean, Justin Fields getting the hardship waiver to play at Ohio State. Well and and, and the, mean, the, easy, the easiest answer is if you have a lawyer you're gonna get one. But then, I mean, everybody, every athletic department at this level could afford to help, help a kid get a lawyer or not even afford to. I mean, there's going to be some very, there's interesting, gonna be some, there's gonna be very somebody, interested alumni that will yeah. take that case on pro bono. And I just. Well, that probably should have happened for Euros. Because if you go down the football list, the guys that had, the guys that had representation were, mostly were the ones that they got the green light. I mean, it was Tate Martell, it was Fields, and it was, you know, I mean, it was. Well, if, if, they, if they start letting them transfer. Like one time with no penalty, play right away. That what you're having. That's what you're. So, so, I, that's the conversation Dude, I've had with a couple of people and said, "Hey, what? You know, I, there's the, a thought out the there. The tampering that goes on would be unbelievable. Some would say that tampering's going on right now. Sure, I, I get it, but I mean, to me, it's at least policed a little bit. You know, more so than it would be if if you know if if you had a blanket, you can transfer one time. Well, I mean. I mean, yeah, you would be, you would have people call. I, I mean, there would be some people jumping around. I just think, I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is, but the the NCAA just their random thoughts. I mean, if if I were a Euros or if I were somebody and I was going to have to set the whole year, I would absolutely publicly file a suit against the NCAA just for the publicity of it. Sure. You know, get a lawyer to do it on the cheap and just for the publicity of it. Hey, I want to sue because we all know the NCAA doesn't want to get sued. We know that, but it's really weird because there's this rush to give everybody immediate eligibility. It seemed like the first half of the year, then there was this big slowdown, and now we're in a denial deal. We've seen several basketball players yeah, the kid lose at their Alabama appeal. has one that you know that didn't that didn't get it. Um, I just, I mean, I, I, I mean, these kids aren't under contract. Scholarships are renewable every year. I mean, a coach can cut a kid, run him off. If he wants to. I mean, I just don't see why the kids couldn't, shouldn't have the same freedom of movement. These are professional athletes, they're college students. Yeah, I get it. Be a can of worms, there'd be some controversy. But you're still, I mean, tell, tell a 19 year old kid he can't go to school where he wants to go. I mean, I, that just seems draconian. 
it's not going to be as big a can of worms as it is when you're talking about playing guys with their lightness, and that's a whole other podcast topic for another day. Back to basketball now. If, if Tennessee's in small ball, Rob, are they still man-to-man? Is this a pressing team? What, what, what's the identity of this it, team as a small ball team? I think it team? depends on on who's on the floor. I mean, I, I mean, and it depends if Eve Pond shows you he can you know, handle guarding bigger guys. I think that's one of the keys. But I think having Pons on, on the floor defensively and having, along with Josiah James, you know, either you know, playing point or off the ball, that, that gives you two six six guys who can, who can do a lot of different things. So I, I'll, I'll be surprised if Rick shifts it to the point where they're playing much zone other than just as a wrinkle like he's done in the past. And, and they'll press, but not, not, you know, balls out, Bruce Pearl pressure. I mean, just to, you know, slow it down, get, the, get them to start their offense with 28 seconds on the shot clock and, and, and you know, in, in the half court. And, and I think you'll see him doing some of that. And the identity of this basketball team starts to create itself on, on Wednesday night with UNC Asheville in. Rotation won't be done, but you'll start to get an idea of what direction they're going to go with some things and who he's going to try to force into some more minutes to try to get something out of him. Kent, some others, uh, we'll get an idea of that when Tennessee takes on UNC Asheville in, in the season opener. As we wrap up the podcast, we had our first major coaching move um, in football with um, – with the fact that Willie Taggart's out at Florida State. Domino two, season. Two questions, two, two questions. One, does that help Tennessee specifically in recruiting any one individual? And two, uh, who, who's, on, who's on your Florida State short list? I don't think it helps. It. I, I, don't, I can't name off the top of the hat somebody. I mean, Reggie Grimes is probably the only guy that Tennessee is even remotely interested in in terms of connect. But I, it may help Tennessee this week if Stoops is having to answer a million, a million questions. No, well, I'm not even worried. About, I'm not even talking about recruiting. I'm not talking about recruiting in Ripka. I'm just talking about distractions that Kentucky and Stoops and some of those guys may be dealing with the fact that Mark is going to be bandied about as and, and then he's going to have one to come of the out most popular names connected. Probably to Starting State. tomorrow on the SEC teleconference, I would imagine. He, he probably got it. Probably got it on Monday at his press conference. Too. I mean, he's going to have to go. He's going to have to go less miles. to you know, right before the SC championship Damn strong game. Football Damn team. strong football team. You know, to, to, to kind of squash any of that, though. And then you put yourself in a position where you then you all of a sudden back yourself into a corner. You know, oh, I take, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to Alabama. And then Nick Saban goes to Alabama. I mean, you know what I mean? I, you, yeah, you, I mean, the, the, the better reality, off just to, you know, yeah, I'm, the I'm coaching my football team right the now. The rea- reality for him is nothing's going to happen in the Florida State search until after Thanksgiving. Or, or the weekend of Thanksgiving. You, you might have something you think in place, but you really can't get to – if you're going to hire a sitting coach, you, you can't get your dominoes really going in, until you get to that point. So there's going to be a ton of speculation out there. Stoops' name is going to be out there. A couple other guys. Who, who else you think is going to be in, in the mix? If you're Florida State, I, you know, the, the buyout number is kind of crazy out there. I've seen it everywhere from 24 to $18 million for Willie Taggart. But they ponied up and paid it in private money. So, I mean, so now those people get a big I mean, say in who they're going like to hire. If you're going to make that commitment that you've got a big fish, at least. Who, no, no, there's no. So. These ads don't have plans anymore. They don't. They don't have a plan. Can't in place. I mean, I don't. I mean, really? I understand he had to go, but I don't know. So, so who are you going after? I mean, I think Stoops is on the short list just because of the familiarity, and that's probably that's somebody you would have to pay eight million dollars a year to. It depends on how. It does depend on how much money you have. I mean, it really does. I mean, the, the fact that you know three old guys can say we'd like to, you know, we'd like to, let, we'll go ahead and write this check. How that, that is some that is just some rich boy money right there too to just have three guys pay twenty million dollars and say, 
Get us another one, boys. I, so or did had, they say, hey, I'm going to go get us another one, boys. We're the well, search. Okay, so that, well, they, and they may be doing that, but if they are doing that, that means that they're, the finances there, they're probably going to be able to invest in somebody that's, could you go get a Matt Campbell who's been up for a bunch of jobs or at least been rumored about, you know, it. AP and I've talked about this all. Bit. Rob was on this. I mean, I think if Clay Helton, with what happened, USC is going to be the next, will be the biggest opening at some point here this fall. So is Florida State trying to get out in front of that? Think, because if Urban Meyer is not going to return to coaching this year, then I think James Franklin becomes the most most targeted guy for a big job, and I think he'd be USC's number one choice. He is on that short list. You see some of the betting odds. Uh, for Florida State as well, but the only way you're getting Franklin is if you can pay a boatload of money. All right, last question, then we got to go. We got to be done here because we've dragged this, I've, I've drugged this on forever in this podcast. But how good of a job is Florida State? Got a lot of tradition, got some facility I think it's, issues. Yeah, I was going to say facilities. There's facilities, a, administration issues with who's actually in charge because they couldn't find an AD this past time that they had to, when they had to you know, hire a new AD. I'll say this though, in the week, at, week ACC, I think it's a great job. I mean, just with the recruiting base and, you know, the, I mean, it's not USC or Alabama tradition, but, I mean, they've got some tradition there. I mean, Heisman Trophies, National Championships. And, I mean, I think it's a really good job. you got one team to beat, and you're in the college playoff if you can get your stuff together. It's the administration stuff. I mean, that's that's what they got to get. I mean, I, I mean, Jimbo. That's why Jimbo left. I was going to say administration and facilities. I mean, Jimbo and, didn't feel a commitment. And Jimbo also just left that roster – Tattered, right? And then, and then, the reason Tagger got fired is because he didn't recruit a quarterback for two classes. But that's also a place where you could restock the roster pretty quickly. You can. I'm just, just saying. By, but that, that's just by staying home. Well, he didn't. Well, he that's didn't, what they thought Willie could do right. because he's a Florida guy. But Willie didn't sign a quarterback. And then when you go out there and there's fifteen thousand fans or twenty thousand fans, whatever in the stands, it, it ends it there. I still think it's a good job. I, 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 I think it's a great recruiting base. They do have some facility issues. It's not Clem, it's not Clemson right now, uh, which I think some people are kind of. You know that that's the Florida State folks are really bothered by that. But as Austin mentioned, it's in a conference where getting to a bowl game. It, I mean, it's a lot easier to get through the ACC than it is to get through the SEC, or um, even the Pac-12, or the Pac-12 for that matter. Well, too. PJ Fleck take his eight and Minnesota and row that boat down to Tallahassee. Might, Swamp might, water. Mike Norvell would like to get in it for sure out of out of Memphis. I don't I'm, see I'm I don't sure. see Norvell getting into that. I, he's got Arkansas written all over it. Yep, I'm with Jesse on that. Uh, if, if unless Gus Malzahn, no, oh, too much over. money to buy Gus at. That's oh, what I'm saying. Gus no, 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 they had to fire me. Wait a minute, you got inside scoop. I, I'm telling you, I think Gus may just see the writing on the wall. They could go eight and four if they lose to Georgia and Bama. It's going to be that, that same old on song the song and that would include a twenty-eight million dollar buyout I, check after they fired me. If I was him. The thing about Fleck, Jesse's right. You get in the boat up there at the top of the Mississippi. You just roll right down into the Gulf. I told hang a left down to Tallahassee. I told Jesse this earlier. My my dream scenario would be James Franklin and Auburn just tweaking Nick Saban at every turn, <laughs> every press conference. Wouldn't that be fantastic? One name going out the door we haven't mentioned. It took it took literally about eighteen hours for Lane Kiffin to go ahead and leak out his name, saying, saying he was interested. In the I think you job. could get hit for, for, when I'm you just put a bunch of money. That's not that's that's an inter- if you're Florida State and you're looking for relevancy. I mean, now can you control him? I get all that, but 
Can you imagine him? Around the, the only way he gets that job, or the, I was t- not the only way, the way he gets that job, as AP kind of talked about off air, is if they don't actually have the money. If they spend oh, everything yeah. on the buyout, you structure his then contract. you can get him for cheap. Yeah, yeah, you can structure his contract to where, you know, he, he gets paid little to nothing up front, and then the more he wins, the more it balloons and blows up. But then if you're winning, then that's making money. So... I'm just looking forward to every job that gets open. Somewhat Lane leaks it to somebody that he, one of his buddies out there that Lane Kiffin is interested <laughs> in extra job. If it's a Power Five job, he's <laughs> going to be interested. I, you know, is Brent Venables looking to make a move? You know, um, that one's interesting. I mean, he's could, on. Could he be ready to be a head coach, or is he comfortable where his he's kids at? just got to Clemson? Yeah, though? I mean, you, Lane Kiffin or Billy Napier. Napier's been name's been thrown around at Florida State. Brent, Brent Venables know, is, I mean, like the, uh, is like the uh, is like. My buddy Brian Nix at Alcoa. He, he's content he's winning Bud championships Foster. over there. Yeah, but they're not winning championships. I know, but Bud's out the door. But for years, it was Bud yeah. Foster. He was very content there. Who's interested in that job is going to be um, a storyline for sure in college football over the course of the next few weeks. That's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. For Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everybody.